If you're anything like me, you assumed that miniature paint was made by combining crayons in a boiling vat of Monster Energy Drink. Today, we find out how they're actually made in a podcast known as Trapped Under Plastic. The best podcast to watch when you've caught up with your other podcasts. Well, did those podcasts have Jason Craze from Monument Hobbies in them? I don't think so. Welcome, Jason. <laughs> Why, thank you for having me. Yes. And yes, they couldn't they couldn't pay me in all of the luscious hugs that you guys could. <laughs> <laughs> I have a demand, and you guys were the only ones that met it. So You're thank you very much. To know about the hugs, glad to be here. Jason. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're glad to have you. Yeah, today we're gonna talk about. Uh, Jason and Monument Hobbies and his history in the industry of mini painting. But before we get there, we're going to do a little preamble ramble. John, what you got for the preamble ramble? Preamble ramble. Okay, so first thing I need to do is tell the story from the bathroom that just happened. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus. So per usual, when we get here, I've got to use the restroom. And right when I'm leaving, the door to the restroom opens and a tall, skinny person off of the corner of my eye enters the bathroom. I assumed it was Scott. So then I make a sound, something like, ah! <laughs> As a joke. Oh, that's perfect. It was not Scott. <laughs> it was a random guy with his shirt tucked in that was horrified. And he was just like, uh, I'm sorry? I did, I like stumbled off of the, like, in, like I was leaving, he was coming in, I had to like, turn sideways to not hit him <laughs> while I'm still making the sound. <laughs> I just left. I thought the biggest the biggest opportunity for me to get out of this cleanly is to just leave. That's a good policy, yeah. yeah. yeah that's you, that was, you, you missed the golden opportunity of as you were walking off, your final words while not making icon should have been, well, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that, that just... Uh, that's kind of my life in a nutshell some days. I feel like I put myself in these situations, but at least I get to talk to you guys about them. Right, yeah. You kind of like stumbled into a scenario you don't know how to get out of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel that. Laugh at your precarious position. Mm -hmm. I have one other uh, important thing that happened to me. Not bathroom uh, related? Not bathroom related, this damn, one. Damn. So you gentlemen may or may not know that uh, Spira Mirables recently just announced he was coming out with a very limited run for the forest dwarves army yesterday Talked yesterday yeah yeah it happened during our live stream yeah, during yeah. The stream. someone was like they're live i bought one i was like whoa yeah so he uh, released a hundred there's only going to be 150 of these armies in the world that's and awesome. i bought one did you yeah all right i jumped on there right away and i was like oh it's probably already sold out because it was like 10 after five i'm like oh they're probably sold out and i'm like oh they're not sold out Oh, no. So I sat there and, like, stared at it. And then I did the euros to USD conversion. It's 510 U.S. dollars for that army for 68 yeah. models. Well, yeah. Is that – I don't know. How does that line man, up? Is that's that actually pretty good. Is that in line with GW prices? Not not saying the models are comparable, but I'm just curious. Right. I, I think it's more but not a lot more because, like, okay. a box of, like, 10 Space Marines is, like, 60 bucks now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they usually, like, yeah. So I the FOMO got me. And okay. so I, I was like, screw it. I'm going to do it. Do you have any buyer's remorse? No, not. I don't think so. I mean, if you've ever gotten the Spira piece, um, you know that, like, it's just an experience yeah, when it yeah. comes in the mail. And it the packaging is, stuff, is all yeah. purposeful. He's got stamps on it. And it's all got a unique twine each time. It's a beautiful art card inside. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he said yeah, the wax right. stamp. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's signed. And it's like, this is just like a, a, a kind of a, a one-time thing. Yeah. I think I'd be more likely to be mad that I had the opportunity I missed out on. Okay. It. And I love, 
his work. Like his sculpts are just so amazing. And I know some people don't really like him. Like Vincey V is just like not a fan of like not even work. the bust ones. No, he doesn't like. How about you, Jason? Are you a fan of Lucas? Uh, you know, like with all lines, there's a, he has more great. He has more hits than misses. I think is the way to say it. Yeah, yeah. definitely 100%. somebody that I look at whenever I'm you know out looking for. Hey, what's the next really cool like one off piece I want to paint? You know, definitely on my hit list. Mm. Yeah, you know. That's how I feel about him too. I'd, every model doesn't hit 100% for me, but I end up buying all of them now because I'm like, I've gone back and looked at different ones that I didn't hit for me a year ago, and now I'm like, oh, now I got a cool yeah. idea for it. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're one-time runs. You either yeah. get it or you don't, oh, yeah. or maybe you pay like $300-plus on eBay to find one. Yeah, scalped. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, oh, damn. All right, so I ordered them. So I have a, uh, I'm going to have a Wood Dwarfs army. Uh, I think I'll probably do it a play as Sylvaneth or something. <laughs> play as Sylvaneth, okay. Yeah, we're, they're forest dwarves, dude. They look kind of like fire slayers. They're shirtless dwarves. Yeah, they could be They could be fire slayers, but I, I think that army's lame. But maybe it's not lame. <laughs> maybe it's but not they, lame if they're forest they dwarves. They have magma droths. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what's the over-under on you actually painting this army? I'm definitely painting it for a video, but probably not the whole thing. Okay, okay. You know. No, I need all 60 painted in like <laughs> yeah. 32 minutes man yeah uh, go for the grabby title yeah. yeah i could do it in a weekend but then i'd hate myself that this one-of-a-kind kind of experience yeah. i rushed through yeah. and i don't want to do that yeah, that's fair dip and flick yeah, that's, fair. So <laughs> yeah that's it what's what's the uh the closet of shame the the backlog of uh purgatory whatever you want to call it what is it is that for you jason is it is it empty is it so full part of my contract stated you were not allowed to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> shit you're right Fine. You, all right scott your, our I editor read the fine print scott jesus <laughs> Um, yeah, so the Monument Hobbies pile of shame is like a whole building full. We joke about it all the time. Oh my gosh. Because as you can imagine, with a whole closet full of nerds working on making products all the time, we all collect stuff. I'm the worst of it, right? Because I'll be like, hey, you know, I think we should do like on the live stream or something, you know, show, hey, uh, here's Procrow painting the new Space Marines. And so we'll buy the Army box. We have like that, whatever the Tyranids versus Space Marine 10th edition one. Mm -hmm. And I think we painted two models out of it. So mm -hmm. there's that whole box. I think there's like 14 boxes of A Age of Sigmar stuff laying around just because I was like, hey, there's one model in there that I want to paint. Yeah, so yeah. I have like four copies of Yandrasta because of the wings are bitching. So who knows? Yeah. I'm like everything. But yeah, we do have a really horrible thing. And then, you know, we, we're, the, we're the distributor in North America for Journeyman and Mindworks Mini. So uh, we have an entire room of stock of some of the most amazing models. And that one's hard. Okay. That one's super hard. They're not technically ours. Yeah, that's not <laughs> part that's of your backlog. But that's the problem because I'll walk through there and I'll be like, yeah, I need all of these. <laughs> so they have so many good ones. I picked up a couple last year Mateo's at Adepticon. Killing it, dude. He is killing it. I'm like, I can't even keep up with the new releases. People are yelling at us, like, Do you have the new thing he showed off? I'm like, he showed off another one. <laughs> Stop it. Well, <laughs> it's nice that they're they're one of those companies that was I was really enjoyed seeing their stuff and it was like when when they started to come to Adepticon, it was like the only time that it was like we had access to like pick them up with relative ease in North America. And now it's kind of nice that I don't have to feel pressured that if I have to purchase one, I have to purchase at a convention or if I can't go to a convention that is a slick way to get them. Yeah. And it was really cool because a lot of those models were limited to like a hundred or 150 and we've got like the last 25 on the planet for some of those like Oz. Have you ever seen the Oz? Yes. Oh big God, Oz diorama. So amazing. Yeah. So yeah, so when you ask us about our pile of shame, it's never ending. It's like everybody. We're just <laughs> we're just humans. We buy stuff we did never intend to paint, but it was cool. It's good to hear that I'm not the only person that 
has a giant box that you've painted one or two things out of, and then those boxes just start to pile on well, each other. GW oh, does yeah. that to you. They, they, they release a box that's entirely old, not old models, but models that have already been released, and it has, like, one bitchin' character per faction in it. And then they, like, release that singular model, like, six months later, like, in a blister pack. So it's like, you want that, like, one leader, dude. So you just buy the whole box for that one guy. I yeah. think they plan it that way. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I don't it, know. It's almost like they thought this through. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, they get us on the FOMO on that one just because it's like, oh, man. the problem for me, though, is that I'll see something that's like, oh, my God, that Terminator captain is so badass. I don't even play the game, so I don't really care. But for me, it's the model, right? It's like it just speaks to me. I'm like, yes, I want to paint that. Yeah. Like the lion. Like with mm-hmm. the, I'm painting the lion right now on stream, and and it, it's like when they first came out with you couldn't get it right because they did the old I, we we made fifty, yeah, you know, yeah of yeah. this Primark that mm-hmm. you know, and and then you couldn't get them, and people were scalping them for like five hundred dollars on eBay, and I was like, well, nope, not painting that one, yeah, and because uh, we're not stupid with our model purchases, but um, then when it finally comes out, I'm all excited, and I get it, it sat there for like six months, mm-hmm. and I've just finally <laughs> put it together, you know? I'm like, good god, so you know how it is, you get all excited about it, but then you remember you all you have another thing you have to do too, so yeah, then, <laughs> yeah, then, then new things come out, yeah, I, I feel that. All right, Prim Ramble for me. Um, I played my first game of my narrative Necromunda campaign with my House of Faith with Cawdor. Um, I called my my clan Faith Over Flesh, and they're all named after like famous cultists. So oh. like I have like a I have a guy named Ervil, like Ervil LeBaron and Verlin and Je- Jedediah, and like all these names. I'm having a lot of fun with that. You have and Marshall I, Applewhite? I don't have Marshall Applewhite. No, it's mostly like kind of like biblical kind of names no. like that. I mean, there's a lot Jim more. Jim Jones? Yeah, there's no yeah. Jim Jones. That would have been a good one. That would have been a Jim Jones. See, the, thing about, the thing about Necromunda is I can hire other gangers and I can name them new things. I can you name them to, Jim you Jones. You need to get Jim Jones with like a cup of Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. I got to I gotta believe that, that's, that a, uh, a cult... A, a war band that's only made up of cult leaders is the worst war band ever because yeah. it's all alpha people that are batshit crazy yes. and think that only they talk to God. Yes. But everybody else in your group also thinks that only they talk to God. Yes, they are the one mighty and strong. Every <laughs> single one of them individually. <laughs> Thanks, John. I just now I have to buy more models. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a problem, you know? And actually, part of the way that I'm trying to. So I'm a fucking filthy tryhard. I like I cannot play a game and not try to win. <laughs> Um, That's what the games are for. I know, but I, I'm trying to. There are people out there that can play games and they just have fun all the time. And I'm like, I don't know how that works. Those, so tr- those people cannot be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And one way that I'm figuring it out is okay, well, I'm not going to make the choices in the game that I would make as a tactician. I'm going to make the choices that Ervil LeBaron would make if he were oh, yeah. in the 41st millennia. You <laughs> okay, know? Right. Right? Yeah. So yeah. that just makes it easier and fun. Uh, but even saying that, I wasn't even playing tactically. I was playing against Dan's subjugators, and Dan's got, like, lots of long-range guns. And I got a bunch of hobos with fire sticks, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. know? And I'm like, yeah. I can't just run at you, Dan. Getting shot at in um, Necromunda is fucking bad. It is, like, super punishing. And so, like, I just, like, came kitted to the teeth with smoke grenades. And so I just smoked my way up. Nice. And then just got in his grill and lit him on fire. <laughs> in real life, it's the same way. Getting shot at is bad. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. And so it's, like, I what? Think, I think what we've learned is that we should just all carry a, a belt full of smoke grenades <laughs> at all times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That you fire guys are spending yeah. all my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's miniatures. Now i got to go to, like, the Army surplus yeah, store. get some smoke grenades. Do these work still? <laughs> are these grenades live? We can try it out in the back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how how weird would that be if you're just like driving in a neighborhood and then there's like a shooting going on and you just chuck a smoke grenade out the window? Like everyone would be so confused. I know. Yeah. Bang. Yeah. Get some smoke yes. bombs from Target. 
<laughs> but it was fun. I had a lot of fun playing. Um, Necromunda is kind of a goofy game, uh, but I'm like really hyped about like the territories that I'm acquiring and like the you know the 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 whole narrative of our Dominion campaign that we're playing. So cool. a lot of fun. Looking forward to game 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 two. Yeah, characterful stuff like that stuff. Absolutely just feels like. More than any of the other games, it just feels like really deep sunk into the universe and like playing the game that like hey, these are just like these dirty underhive kind of dudes trying to just make it through these sewers and stuff. Yeah, I really dig that. I, I do think that you should have like a one paragraph um, like synopsis of motivations for each of your characters. Oh, I can. I or can just a, or maybe just a couple bullet points mm -hmm. of like these are the the main attributes in what motivates this person to do what they do as a cult leader. And you can just quickly glance at that before each turn mm -hmm. and be like, okay, well, according to my ethos, yeah. I will this turn choose to stand up on this crate and preach to the infidels. <laughs> for, <laughs> for the, you know, and then just like tr trust that God will not allow you to be shot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know faith what? Faith is my shield. Yeah. I, I did put my faith in the emperor at several points and uh, it did pay off for me. Like my leader like melee weapons are not a good thing in Necromunda, but my leader is a great sword wielding guy. He has nothing other than a great sword. Yeah. And so I just ran him down mid and he chopped two dudes in half. <laughs> and it was like it was like this is fucking awesome. Yeah. It with every yeah. if every kill that dude gets, he is believing more and more that he really is the chosen one. I know. Oh, yeah. That's what I was saying. I was like, clearly I am the one mighty and strong because I I did this insane shit. I'm still alive. Yeah. So yeah, now he's like more empowered in his fucking like insanity. You, um, you gotta create your own little game within the game and have like a, a D10 or D20 system <laughs> where, where you have to roll and either above or below your target attribute, like you said, John, and if you if your roll's lower, you're just forced to do whatever yeah, crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if above, then you can kind of be a little bit more strategic. Yeah. That, would put a, that would put that old orc and goblin randomness into your whole armor. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, like the it's fanatic. Like, okay, I'm going to launch this guy at you and I'm going to roll and, oh, look, I killed myself. Thanks. That's yeah. great. I think if he survives, like, two more battles you need to hit bash like the, the the tribute to saint catherine where they're like a bunch of people carrying this giant ornate oh, christian looking yeah. casket it's like cherubs that yeah. are like floating it along yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then you keep the lid of the casket off and he arrives to the battle like standing in the casket yeah. and he gets out <laughs> like come on rip jedediah oh man yeah, he's, he's you know he is the chosen one. I love it. I think that's the dream though, right? Those games where you feel like you can get that involved and that your characters yeah. mean something, as opposed to just you know useless trash that you pick up off the table and set aside and, and wish you hadn't spent so much time painting them because they died in the first ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. I was I was talking to someone actually in my league about that because like I was I'm always interested in people, how people enjoy playing their own games. And uh, someone was like, yeah, I would never really get into God tier because there's like no narrative there at all. Like there's nothing about the world it's it's just the crunchy good game whereas like gw has like all this like baked in thing that you can choose to enjoy you don't have to enjoy it if you don't want to but it's there if you do want it and it helps to uh to really immerse yourself in the experience mm. that's a huge thing the emotion uh, the emotional attachment to the things we do is super important to us as humans yeah and even if there's no real narrative in the game of say 40k or age of sigmar that you're playing there is a whole lore rich world behind it that can exist in your brain as you're moving your dudes around it, yeah. your opponent doesn't even have to be involved in that narrative you can have it in your head and just be like totally introverted you're rolling dice blowing stuff up but this is you know 
a squad Augustus and and in your head they were part of this book and this scene and you're making it all up as you go. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That stuff works and yeah, God Tier is a great game. I love God Tier, but it doesn't have an emotional attachment. It's yeah. just a fun game. Yeah, you know? yeah. All right, let's talk about what we painted in the last two weeks. Johnny, want to kick us off? Here? Um, you know, well. It's a little spoiler to all the goody peepees out there that we're actually recording this episode a week early than when we usually do. Oh, is because this, are you hedging right now? Yeah, I'm hedging real hard, <laughs> real hard. I can tell. So, uh, so this slacker. So, yeah, so it's only been a week since our last video. So I painted a lot for last video. You did last you episode. Did. I had nothing last time. Um, this week was a, a heavy week of editing for the video that just uh, dropped as of today. It would be a week ago before about painting the dog, which. I showed about uh, last week. I did scrape a bunch of hours in this week um, on painting the, the high marshal for the high marshal that's on horse for the unit. Um, he's not done yet, but he's most of the way done. Scott, I just sent you the picture, oh, but okay. I can just I didn't bring him because I'm an idiot. So I can show him to Jason on my phone so he can take a look at where we're at with him. But oh, nice. But uh, I like the tarnished steel armor. Yeah, really good. yeah. I really wanted to add. There is, there's maybe some more room for, to build some depth and, and color in the armories, <laughs> but I wanted it to just kind of be steel. I didn't want there to be a bunch of different colors all over the place on his armor. But I'm working on a lot of the saturation and some of the brightest points of the whole scene for the unit to be moving towards the center and up. And he's kind of the the top part of the whole scene. So he's got a rich saturated red cloak, whereas in the other parts of the scene, the red is much more desaturated. You're you're not pulled to it with your eye where you will be here. Yeah. And then the flag that's kind of off the back of the horse saddle as well is going to have some more saturation. But um, had some fun painting the the sword blade, kind of fiddling with the gold on the um, on the hilt of the sword where I didn't want it overwhelmingly um, orangish yellow, but to still read as a warm gold instead of a cool gold. I usually associate a cool gold more with a, a bad guy. Um, mm -hmm. So to, to feel that that bit of a, a good guy scene to him. But um, yeah, there's still more work to be done on him, but he's I would say he's about 85 percent done. And then uh, he's got this giant shield, so you can you can kind of see that he's got the straps on his shield. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, in the after party today, I'm going to talk about my hatred for subassemblies. But um, <laughs> it's a big shield, and it's like painting that separate. I'm like, I just wish I could have it on, but like it closes off that his whole like left side to paint him. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, I was like a good chunk of time spent on painting his armor, so he's got all armor down the other side of his leg he's got that kind of thigh plate over there the whole big side of his uh, <laughs> his steel armor i'd put hours and hours into i kind of just like dry fitted put that shield on to see where it would sit it covers <laughs> fucking all i'm just like well i guess i'm done worrying about any buildup of highlights and shadows yep. in there because it looks <laughs> it looks better than it's ever going to need to because you can't see any of it oh sub assemblies God. yay yeah i love the uh like the yellow tarnishing you got going on and just the nmm in general like on the shoulder you can see it in the sword mm -hmm. blade you can see it you can see a little bit of gold reflection from the hilt into mm -hmm. the silver of the blade um so just like a lot of really cool like i i feel like this is something that i'm missing in my nmm when i do it it's very clinical it's very like gray, white, blue. There's nothing. There's no like oranges and yellows and purples and like other environmental tones that really, when you do it subtly, really enliven non-metallic metal like in a yeah. huge way. And the thing that I've learned about that, and I don't consider myself great at it, is that the cool thing is, is you get to where it reads right, and then you can 
really faintly add that to your taste. Mm. So it's not something that you actively have to worry about in the painting process. It's like, okay, now I've got this all done. Now I'm like, okay, what would bounce off of this? Now that I see the scene or I see the character mostly done, or even if the base isn't painted, what colors are on the base? Mm -hmm. Or just thinking about the environment, right? In this, mm -hmm. in the, what is he standing around or, or what color is the, the light from above and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I'm glad you saw the, the little bit of yellow on the, the top of the blade because that was one part. I was like, oh, yeah, it should bounce just there, a little bit of that, that yellow on there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I painted. Very cool. Jason, what did you paint in the last two weeks-ish? Oh, geez. Um, <clears throat> I brought I the thing over that you painted on stream. I, oh, yeah, I started that yesterday. Yeah. The, the little uh, texture trainer thing. So I yeah. just started going Andorian Star Trek. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek, so blue skin, white hair is my goal with her. So I just kind of started sketching there. But uh, I've been doing the Lion, uh, Lionel Johnson, the 40K one. I've done the 30K one. I just I love the character, so I've been painting that, built it. Been doing a lot of sketching in, working on all the, the armor. He's got a lot going on. So it was, an, it was one of those, do I do this in sub-assemblies? I was like, no. Yeah. No, we just build it, build and paint it. So been working on him. And then, of course, the the mechs for our um, upcoming battle, Scott. Mm -hmm. So uh, worked a little bit on those. Okay. Got uh, the uh, the final stuff. That You know, that's always fun for me because it, it's like when you, when you want to just do something super quick, you know, and spend a couple <laughs> hours finishing something, you know, and it, it, I never dry brush. And so I actually get to spend some time dry brushing, you know, and, and, yeah. and some simpler techniques that can work really well on those, those catalyst game labs mech models because they're, they're PVC. So the, the plastic's not perfect. You know, they have their, their blemishes and you can't really clean them up well because it's that rubbery, mm. you know, PVC. So it pills up, you can't really clean lines. So you just go in and you go for it. You just don't even try to, to mess with them. Right. You just, kind of put details where you can and you know there's with, so many edges on those things yeah exactly it's all right. edges and i so i don't even take time to really go in and like edge detail much but you know i do like wish.com non-metallic metal on the guns and things like that so <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of like it's a really good palette cleanser because you can get a neat miniature that's fun to play on the table but i have like we did a a, a series of streams where for two weeks i had to paint my entire battalion for for this so 47 mechs that I painted in two weeks and got my color scheme done and, and all that. And that's what the other mechs are. So, you know, I, I got all of those done same way. So it, it's fun. Yeah, it's good to have a mixture of like hobby projects, some that are easy to accomplish and fast and some that take longer. So how long do you think you're going to end up spending painting uh, Lionel Johnson? Oh, God, that's you know, that's one that I'm really invested in. So I think at the end of the day, that's always a tough question because I do most of my painting live on our stream. And as you know, the 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 output per hour is much reduced. Right. I would say that you're painting at about 50% capacity when you're painting live, if even that. Okay. And so the total hours that I get are in the hundreds when I do that kind of focus on a model. Okay, so like maybe if you were painting it by yourself, if you're like a 50 hour paint job. Probably like, like a 50 to 80 hour paint job, depending. Okay, you know, okay. I, yeah. I spend a lot of that time as most of us do, you know, with like the stuff John's talking about with the non-metallic metal, that's that's the uh, one of the 47 in two weeks. So that's the kind of level I was doing that at. So just really good clean tabletop. But um, you know, you get to that point where especially when you're doing a lot of non-metallic metal and reflective surface painting you get to the what is would be the end for a normal model and that's really where a lot of the 
the brain time comes in is mm -hmm. looking at how you can bring the, I call it the part of the model you don't see, right? Because this model's in an environment, we don't get this big diorama. So what are all the things outside, the color of the lighting in the space, uh, the, the things that would be reflective, like the purples and greens and stuff that show up in metal. So how do you bring the outside world in? And I'll spend a lot of time not painting, finishing a model. Okay. Right, because you, you you spend more time thinking about you know it might look good. And you try a little bit of a, a bluish tint to some of the metal, and then you'll be like, mm. and then of course you got to repaint the whole damn sword. And let's try yellow. Yeah. You know, so. so like, are you pretty like a lot of people are afraid to like just try things out and throw caution to the wind? But do you do you have a little bit of that fear in you or or zero? Right, you, you'll just like fuck it, send it. Let's try something. If it doesn't work, then I, I, I know I can get back years, to where dude, I was. Nothing scares me, and that's one of the things I try cool. to instill in people that watch us paint. Is like, you know, the first thing is, we don't make like life support systems. You know, it, it's just resin or plastic and paint. You know, if you learn to paint thin and you're not glomming it on, man, there's nothing you can't do. Right, and just keep repaint. That's a whole deal with those texture trainers, right? Just paint it, paint it again, paint it again, paint it after that reprime it paint it again you know use it as a tool to to just kind of get good and every model i look at that way regardless if it's a you know a big expensive bust you know or something that you you know you're like oh my god you know this is a a, a joaquin palacio sculpt you know i'm like i don't care just start sketching on it you know whatever <laughs> and a lot of people laugh at me because you know i don't know what colors my models are going to be when i start i don't have a plan i never paint with a plan no like no plan line. at all no direction at all not at all mm -mm, no okay. I, I you know that that's a little bit of a lie because like something like the lion or like I just recently painted uh, the Marvel Crisis Protocol, the new Immortal Hulk or whatever it's called or mm. I forget what he's called, but the big jumping one. He's a great Hulk and we're using that for some stuff on our website. And um, and so as I'm painting him, of course, Hulk's green. I'm not going to, you know, go in and say, what could I do different with Hulk? And I painted him like what you would expect from Hulk. So there was a plan there because it's a known quantity. And Lionel Johnson a little bit. But even with Lion, I was like, I was asking chat, you know, I was like, so what color do we want to do his armor? Do we want to do like black armor, green cloak? Do we want to do green armor, red cloak? And they threw out some ideas and my brain's churning away. And so then I just kind of jump in and let it be. I'm kind of hippy dippy in that sense that I feel like models turn into what they want to be as I paint them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. I, I might lay down a color that was unexpected and go, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> we discussed this last week, actually, is like, like how much pre pre preparation do you do before sitting down to like a hobby on something? And we all had kind of like different answers and stuff. Zero. I have like some idea. Like I know like the maybe the the two main colors that I want to incorporate on the model. I don't know where they're going. I'll figure that out along the way. But yeah. I have like that that amount of direction. Yeah, I think that that's a big thing, a big hurdle for a lot of, especially new painters, is you think you need to know it all before you go. Yeah, definitely. And well, it's a that, comfort and confidence thing, right? Yes, and that you think that once you're good enough, then you will know where to go every time before you begin, and that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's part of the fun. You, it's better to embrace that mm -hmm. and to than to think of it as a fault of yours. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, just let's just go for the ride. Um, I legit come in here, loaded up 48 rando paints, and said, whatever I put in this bag is what I'm starting to paint that model with when yeah. we sit down. I had no idea. Okay. And then, yeah, that's why yesterday I was like, purple skin, green skin, blue skin, because I, <laughs> I didn't bring any traditional skin tones with me. You know, I was like, they were all on another table, I guess. I just didn't bring anything. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, that's part of the process. Scott, uh, did you paint anything? I did. I painted. So I'm uh, experimenting with uh, Duncan Rhodes Two Thin Coats paints on my stream and I'm painting these three Cawdor guys over here. Um, I'm also doing some experiments with um, Vallejo Express paint again. Um, and so I'll hand one of them over to you. Yeah, they look really um, good. Turning out great. I think I ended the stream yesterday messing with uh, Duncan Rhodes uh, TMM paint, which to me is, um, 
I don't know. It's like it's squarely in the middle in terms of all the other TMM paints that I use. Got a little bit of sparkle to it. You can see some of the pigmentation. Has pretty decent coverage over black paint. I needed two coats on like the smaller details and three coats on like the flatter, large blade areas. Um, and that's like pretty in line with like the the acrylic paint that I use for metallic paints. And so that was pretty good. I really enjoyed using the green and the uh, the khaki on like their waistcoats. That worked great for me. And the ochre color for like the ropes and stuff. I'm not done with the models yet. But um, so far, very usable paint range. Um, not not many complaints. Yeah, I found a, a similar thing with their metallics that they're <coughs> they are. If you've painted with most hobby paint metallics, they won't be foreign to you. <laughs> they're a little bit too thick and globby for my taste, which is one of the reasons why I end up. This is not because of our guests. One of the reasons I go back to Monument Metallics almost every time is because they're. They're just so much smoother out of the bottle, especially with metallics. That gunkiness can you can obscure details and stuff. I, feel, I, I definitely see what you're saying about the the Duncan Ro about the two thin coats paints being a little bit thick out of the bottle. Also, annoyingly, the pitch of his nozzle is perfect for the ball bearing <laughs> to get in there to totally uh, obscure the the nozzle from getting paint out. Mm -hmm. So you need to hold it at a certain like uh, angles to get paint out, and it's like, can we fix that? Can like it be more narrow so the ball doesn't total? I guess it's impossible to avoid. I've never experienced that with another paint before. Where when I when I go upside down fully to dispense paint, the ball bearing totally blocks the nozzle. Have you, have you experienced this before in paint? In all the regular dropper, but that's one of the okay, reasons I'm why our bottle design was the way it was, is because we could control the fact that the the agitator doesn't really clog it up. Okay, yeah, I, I, that was the first for me, and I was kind of like, "What's going on here?" And then someone in the chat was like, "That's happening," and I was like, "Oh, you're you're totally right." Yeah. Um, yeah. I usually put the bottle at an angle as I'm putting it out. You don't put it straight up and down. Yeah, it really becomes yeah. a problem the less the less paint you have because the agitator has nothing to float in to keep it from getting there before you get your drop out. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, the more fluid a paint is, the more the agitator rushes to the front. The less paint you have in the bottle, the more the agitator rushes to the front. So it can Maybe that's it. why I don't struggle with it because I use a lot of thicker paint and yeah. so it gets suspended in that liquid better. Yeah, most, most liquid acrylics go with a thicker medium so that they can suspend more pigment in it. Okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, um, but it's a, it's a fine paint range. Um, it's working out for me. But, which we were discussing this yesterday is that a lot of paint ranges are strangely operate very similarly, and maybe it's because they come from the same place. Yeah, they all right? come from very similar factories, if um, not the same factory. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. That's what that's what I painted. All right, let's get chatting on the main topic here, which is all about Monument Hobbies and Jason Craze oh, here. God. You can you just get us kicked off here with maybe like a five minute summary of like your hobby, professional, and like and also personal like kind of life leading up to. Monument. Did you work in the field in the industry? Is Monument your first time? Were you a hobbyist originally? Like, where did it all start for you? Give us like the short story. The before times. The before times. Yeah. <laughs> so I I got into the hobby really young. Uh, when I was like eight or nine years old, one of the kids in my neighborhood was getting into D and D, and so he didn't have any friends that he was on a football team and at his junior high, and so he didn't have anybody back then that was interested in nerd stuff. And so he collated all these guys in the neighborhood, the other three kids that were younger than he was, and forced us to play D&D. &D. And I, I had a blast. It was right up my alley, right? And I think a lot of the other kids really 
liked it too, but you know, the, we kind of all drifted away from it. But it introduced me to the idea of these little, you know, pewter miniatures, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. Who right? was making the models back then? Uh, back then, it would have been uh, Ralph Partha. Ralph Partha. Uh, I always forget the other one. I, I did. It was not Citadel at the time, although I think they existed. Oh. But we in America didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to get them. But that was Ralph Partha and oh my God. Why can't I remember it? It'll come to me. But, yeah, so there were only a couple of manufacturers. There was a bookstore close to my grandmother's house that we would walk to every now and then, and they had all of the, like, D&D modules. This is back when they were, like, the small brown books and mm-hmm. things like that. And, and the guy had miniatures in a case. And this is, I mean, we're talking, you know, 78, 79, 80. Um, and I remember there was a cleric model, a Ralph Partha cleric. These are all one-piece, not multi-piece models. And he had painted it nice, had like an oil wash on it. This guy was doing it, and he was the guy that was working there. And so I just talked to him as a little kid asking questions like, oh, my God, how'd you do that? I want to do that. And uh, and I was off and running. Is that what you sounded like when you were a little kid? That's exactly <laughs> it. Oh God, I'm Jason Craze. My name is Jason, and I like to paint your models. <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. me. Um, it's kind of like on Tuesdays nowadays, but anyway. (laughs) Only Tuesdays. Yeah, only Tuesdays, because i got to keep the guys on their toes. (laughs) Uh, No, so I really fell in love with that whole idea, and it led into, like, scale model building, which is really where I detoured off, because, you know, the miniature world back then was kind of limited. Battletech was around. Ralph Partha was doing the Battletech miniatures, and so that was when I got introduced to Battletech. Uh, uh, Starfleet Battles were kind of my first tabletop war games, you know, uh, because I don't include D&D in that. And so I knew that tabletop war gaming was fun, and there was a lot of stuff I was interested in there, but... As a kid with no budget, you know, uh, I, you know, I didn't make enough in my allowance to really buy a miniature every week and things like that. So, it it it, it became on the back burner. When I had an opportunity, I would. But scale modeling was something that I was very interested in. I would save my allowance up to buy a Panther tank and and do that. And you know, we talked a little bit about about Shepard Payne. And so early on in my early teens, I was able to sit down at a a couple of classes that Shepard Payne did. Um, and those were tremendous. You know, I'm dealing with, you know, what we would call graybeards, a bunch of old dudes and me, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, my voice went down maybe a half an octave from them, but it was still pretty much, hey, I'd like to learn how to paint models. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know anything. I had no pedigree. I had no, uh, prior i didn't have an airbrush i think my parents got me like uh you know it was like a a tester's uh compressed air plastic trigger Mm -hmm. thing it was horrible um and uh, i tried to paint models with inks because that was the only thing that would go through that damn thing and they were horrible anyway you know so i went all through that age of no information just trying stuff as a kid because you have no fear you know you got this 25 dollar model which back then was a lot of money and you just ruined it because you didn't mm-hmm. know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother and, and my family stuck with me, and they were like, you know, yeah, if that's what you want, you know, for your birthday, we'll get you another model. And I built it, and I got good with glue, and you just kind of did it. So my whole life, pretty much, it led up to this. And, and then miniatures would come in, and as we know them, would come in and out as I would go to stores where they had them, and I'd be like, oh, that'd be rad to paint. So it was always more of a rule of cool thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, it wasn't until the mid-90s that I got back into tabletop wargaming, more Battletech at that point in time. A comic store that I was going to started carrying Warhammer. So I bought, like, the Imperial Fist's old Battle Force box, the one that they were all yellow, and they were on, like, a a tiered deal that had, like, a piece of green felt on it on the cover. You know, their old big battle boxes, all metal, you know, the old crappy rhinos. Um, and, uh, And started painting that and had a blast. And then uh, was living on the East Coast. Uh, at one point in time, I went down to Games Day, Maryland, and they have a booth. Well, they used to have a booth at Games Day that was like, apply here to work for Games Workshop. And just on a whim, I mean, I had a career in electronics, and I, you know, but I just on a whim went up there and I said, hey, you know, this would be fun. And I knew, and I had taken my resume, and I gave him my resume, and she immediately said, you're 
you'll never get hired here. We don't do that. You know, okay. you're a higher level exec type, you know, position and we only hire from within. And I said, well, keep my name on file. You know, if you ever have anything that you guys, you know, think of, give me a call. And uh, two or three years later, I moved out to California and on the drive out to California, got the call and they were like, hey, uh, we have this new position we're doing. And so I worked for Games Workshop from 2004 to 2008. Hmm. Um, doing primarily what? Uh, I was the business manager for the West Coast, so the, they were regionalized at that point, the Northeast, Southeast, uh, Midwest, West, and maybe the South, I think five regions. And uh, each of those regions had an office. Ours was in Westminster, California, where the bunker was, in L the L.A. bunker, and uh, the office there. And I just ran all the business stuff. I ran hiring and firing. I ran all of the accounts receivables and payables, um, you know, all the, the, the crappy, uninteresting stuff that a business has to do. Well, it was kind of interesting because you were telling, about, telling, telling it to me, and it sounded like you were almost like a repo man. Like these stores would order stuff from you. Yeah, so they... one of the biggest hurdles when I came on was that they were in arrears. They had a lot of money dated over 100 20 days and you know for accounts receivable that's bad you know um and it was at that age it was really weird if you talk to people that own uh you know uh, independent retailers you know like like the forge and places like that you know those guys would get calls like it, like it's like sales people just beating your door down from gw every week uh because the new release schedule was really hot back then mm -hmm. you know gw was still riding high off of the lord of the rings release that was their big thing that turned them into what they are today and so the money was flowing they're making tons of models it was a great time for them uh but the sales staff was oppressive you just get on the phone on Mondays. Internally, it was oppressive. You had to drive. We'd whip cracking those guys. Like, hey, how much? Have you met your quota? Have you sold enough? Has everybody taken a sleeve of this Dark Angels thing? And blah 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 blah, whatever. And so those guys were having to buy everything, even if they didn't need it. You know, hey, you know, we have to buy a sleeve of this Dark Eldar, you know, uh, uh, Flayer guy that you can only have one of in your army. And I have nobody that plays Dark Eldar in my entire store. But now you got it on the wall. And so it was a, it was a rough time. Um, and and so people weren't paying their bills. Right. The accounting system sent you a bill you didn't you couldn't read. Yeah. So I, the big problem was like on the paperwork. I had to figure out a way to make bills readable. So we spent a lot of manual time internally, and so that was my job for the first six months I was there. But we turned it around. We got all that receivables for the West Coast down to a very manageable amount, and all the stores were happier because they didn't have bill collectors calling them all the time. Um, and a lot of times, if you were that far dated, you weren't able to get the new releases, which is a problem. You would have to go buy through distribution, and your margins were really low. So yeah, from a business standpoint, it was it was interesting for me because I got to learn that side of the business of the gaming world, mm. we'll call it the miniatures world, and I had no exposure to that. I didn't, you know, I'm, I I never did anything retail. And so for me, it was a good learning experience. And then, of course, the whole world of GW, just the internal philosophy and the way they ran. It was a great company. It was a lot of fun. The people there were great. Um, so, yeah, so that gave me an exposure to the, the world that, that made me say that at one point in time, I'd really like to dive into the business of miniatures. Um, unfortunately, GW didn't work out long term because they showed a bunch of down uh, quarters of profitability. And so they retreated the U.S. business into just Glen Burnie, Maryland, shut down the regional offices, got rid of a bunch of people. I was offered a job in Glen Burnie, but I had just moved to California and bought a house. And I was like, they couldn't help me in their financial situation pay the closing costs to sell my new house. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, I can't go to Glen Burnie, Maryland if I have to foot the bill of losing money selling my house. And, you know, this was the the 2007 2008 you know things Oof. were not great yeah. for selling homes no, anyway yeah that's like yeah so it was a bad situation and i had gone out there and looked at places in annapolis and around glen burnie and was really excited to have the opportunity because i i really loved working for games workshop and wish i could have stayed on board um 
but it just wasn't in the cards. And so I went back to my normal life doing motorcycles and electronics. And, and then uh, uh, the whole time, kind of in the back of my head, I, obviously I was still playing games. I, I got big into War Machine at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it was the it was the screw GW, you know, I'm gonna play another game. And so I was playing War Machine, um, <laughs> and but it, the War Machine crowd in Southern California was despicable, so that didn't last very long. Um, I mean, it sounded like they were despicable because of the kinds of people that the company wanted to attract. Like their their mottos and everything were kind of pointing toward that. You know, it's really weird because for for Privateer Press, I have a lot of good friends that worked at Privateer Press still to this day that have gone on to other companies and yeah, such. Obviously, yeah. Jordan, our studio painter, Jordan, worked at Privateer Hungerford. Press. That's how I met him. Yeah, I love the Privateer press guys i don't think it was an outward expression from privateer press i think that it was just because it had a very competitive edge to the game mm -hmm. and so it got those people that were really kicky in the dick when at all cost gamers yeah. yes and so for me at the time i was just a casual gamer i still am i i i'm like you i i build armies to win yeah but i don't play very often yeah so yeah. i don't i can't have very high expectations for my own play style because i'm like mm -hmm. i play one game a year so um Losing is kind of part of the, par for the course. Yeah. But yeah, so I stayed in it. And I kept painting miniatures. It was a, a hobby that I had. People would make fun of me in in just like especially in the motorcycle world. We'd sit around a campfire on a motorcycle run, you know, late at night in the mountains, and people would be like, "Jason, you paint any more of your dollies?" And you know, and and thinking they were out me. And by the end of the time, I've got everybody interested in all these things I do. You know, like, <laughs> you know jokes on you, bitches. Yeah, it's all these big tough tattooed dudes, and they're like, "Oh, really? What? My son would love that." You know, and, and I'd have people messaging, going, "My son wants to get into Dungeons and." dragons do you know anything about this it's really great uh, there's nerds everywhere right you just yeah. have to open your mouth to find them yeah. and um yeah so it was always there but it was kind of a it was it retreated in the background more or less from time to time and then you know when i moved down to arizona in 2014 i was looking for what my next move was i sold my metal shop uh, that i was doing all my motorcycle stuff out of i had long left the electronics biz and was just kind of in that that limbo of hey what's next when did the uh, slow fuse twitch stream thing start was this when monument happened and that was beforehand right that was 2012 actually I, it was right at the end of justin tv and so when justin tv turned into twitch i was doing video games <laughs> I, I was part of a video game group that was like uh doing um like small regional tournaments for like um uh Oh, good God! Why they did just I just lost. It. I want to say Lord of the Rings, but the uh, um, okay, League of Legends, and so they were doing League of Legends and some other uh, Smite and some of those those MOBA type games, and I fell into those and was really loving them. It was pretty good. And so as we would do our practice rounds and things for tournaments, I was always a jokester and and making fun. And everybody, you need to stream. I didn't know what that was, and uh, so we started streaming video games, and I did video games until twenty fifteen. Okay, so and three I, years of that. Yeah, and I got really tired of it because I was playing competitive PvP games, and you know, like if you're focused on one or two games, the problem is that the matchmaking starts going down as, or starts being tougher to deal with as you get fewer players in your category and things like that. And so it was just like I was going for like my platinum uh, level placements in, in uh, League of Legends, and wood level players were getting into my team on my placements. Yeah. And so yeah. it was like insta loss. I couldn't carry because I didn't play a carry position at that point. And so. Do you have any thoughts about Dota? Dota two players. <clears throat> are you not like, so are you not that kind of mobile newer player? was the toxic community dota i always had a lot of fun with fucking um, love here's a new earth dude uh, heroes was a great game. do you see the video where i made a no. character from oh did you uh, so my favorite character in, in han I, I, that, that was my shit for like, oh, I for like it, 15 but years it was horrible no absolutely they were the worst but like we were also like 
we prided ourselves because the game was like the most competitive MOBA or like the the most hardcore MOBA, like none of this like like kid shit. Um, but yeah, I made a model from that game Fade and then made a video about it because okay, I, I love cool. I love Han. And, very and cool. Yeah, Han was a lot of fun, and I really it was one of those games where I wished I could find a better group of people to play it. I could never get <laughs> our, our our gaming clan or group to get into it because they were all against all of the toxicity and i said like, well sure, let's be a sure. beacon of hope inside that toxic because i love the game but they played dota for a while but of course league of legends is where we all settled on because sure, they had sure, better yeah. queuing system there was there was uh it was just better yeah, um, yeah. from the amount of people that were playing but it wasn't the better game at the time this was all pre the graphic update and all that kind of stuff gotcha, gotcha. but anyway i got sick of playing pvp i did world of tanks i was part of the north american world of tanks sponsored uh, group of streamers and um it just got to the point where i was not having fun in my audience could see it uh i got you know i always tell the story i got a message one day from a viewer on twitch messenger who said hey i just want to drop you a line i've been a follower of yours since the beginning i really loved your streams and all i've stuck with you through all the games but lately you are not having fun and it's you can see it mm. and so these this guy was very honest and said he wouldn't be attending my streams anymore and that really hit me dude yeah I can, I, like, I can i can imagine how you would feel have you ever had something like that john when someone was like you know I watched you for a certain reason, and you don't do that anymore. And so I'm gonna stop, and I want yeah. you to know that. Has anyone ever like been that personal yeah. with you? Yeah, I've had I've had a couple of those, and some of it is where it's like, oh, you're not how you used to be, and I'm like, can you give me more details? Because I don't really know how I'm not. <laughs> I feel the same. I feel like the same. Job. I feel like whatever. And and sometimes I think people want to do that to just to just justify this wanting to be a contrarian yeah. right or like, how they're feeling like are they feeling yeah. a certain way i don't know how to enumerate it maybe so i'm gonna like say changed. this yes yeah, yeah maybe that's... the content they like has changed and that's not you yeah. anymore yeah or maybe i have i and that's I, i've had to have some of those introspective moments too it's just like oh what really makes me happier and that's kind of when we we did the uh the our new year's resolutions episode where uh, we started the season five on was that i just wanted to make sure that i'm, I'm holding true to that north star of what excites me? What's fun to me? The rest of the details aren't as important as that. So, but yes, that's kind of a catalyst for that. I've had a couple of those. I'm like, okay, I feel you. I see where you're coming from here. Sure. So. It was big. I don't remember your name, but you're the reason Monument Hobbies exists. Because it really, it changed my whole mind. I said, I have to find a way to have fun streaming again. And my fun came through painting. Okay, and so you're like, you're like, I'm gonna axe the the gaming. I'm now I'm gonna do painting on stream, and then that led into monument hobbies and creating your first products that then started selling so what was the what was the first product that you sold like the reason why you started the, up the llc or whatever it was so we we decided early on that the products i was representing and painting with myself the brands of paint the brushes and things like that that we would open up an online store so that people that found us and found the hobby could have a place to go support us that wasn't giving half the money to twitch through subs and that was giving giving them something in return you know i've i've always had a problem of devaluing my content feeling like you know you should get something more than just listen to this old man tell you how to paint mm -hmm. um and so i was like so let's sell you brushes and stuff and i just sold the stuff i sold winsor newton i sold uh, vallejo i sold all the products that i would use and um so and you stocked it yeah i stocked it we had an online store and we stocked in our house i got i got a lot of the distributors on board some of the bigger distributors by saying hey i have a different business model i don't compete directly with online stores because i don't advertise that way i have a built-in crowd of people that are consumers that buy from me and okay. it was just our, our viewers and we had a you know a, a handful of thousand viewers that were very supportive thank god for those guys and gals because they they really wanted to see us grow 
and what better way than to get the paint you were going to buy anyway. Yeah, I th right. I've often thought about this, and I kind of want to ask you a question about this. Like, obviously, we use Amazon affiliates and we sell things there, and that's very that's very easy. Mm -hmm. But year after year, they're constantly reducing the percentage takeaway mm -hmm. you get for certain categories and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what if I just like stock the top ten things I use? My my Tamiya plastic thin cement, yep. like like or whatever it may be, the airbrush that I like. Um, was it pretty difficult to like get, like become like to to talk with distribution and get that stuff on hand, or was that simple? For me, it wasn't, okay. um, and I don't have a good explanation of why. I think it was just I came from it from a purely business aspect, and I pitched them. I said, hey, I know that you have a, a rule about no non-brick-and-mortar places. I do not have a brick-and-mortar location, but let me tell you about my business model. Okay. And then I presented them my business model. So, And, and I would always say that, yeah, I mean, some other streamers have done the same thing um, and to various levels of success. I think it really comes down to how focused you are on showing them good business that doesn't impact and intrude on any of their other business because in that world if you start we didn't discount anything okay and a lot of people will will fight to the bottom by just saying hey i do my paints at 30 percent off it's like why yeah, you know yeah. why sell it at what its value is and and realize that you're only killing yourself and so that's what we did we sold it at, at pretty much retail uh we've always done the deal where if you buy a bunch of paints you get a little bit of a discount for building your own set kind of thing and we did it back then too um, but then it wound up being like, I, I'm a, a product developer at heart and a problem solver. And so I would have, you know, these brushes don't do exactly what I want. I don't like a big flat, fat flame shaped belly to my brush. Cause when painting miniature, having that nice straight taper allows me to use the entirety of the brush down an edge or in what we do with three dimensional objects. And so I was like, well, I want to design a brush that has more of a straight taper. So I went out and found a brush manufacturer and found somebody that would work with this teeny weeny company in the U.S. to actually design something with us. Um, and it cost us a lot, but we sold those. That was really the first product we did was our sable brushes. The red-handled, slow-fuse brushes? They were long, black-handled mm -hmm. because I couldn't get them to budge on the standard handle they made, so it was a longer, like... Oh, like an artist kind of? Oh, wow, yeah. It, was, it wasn't, like, the super big, like, you know, paint, you know, from five feet away, but they were, like, six, seven-inch long handles, you know, that were pretty absurd. I still have some of those in my paint drawer. Really? And it's great. It's great because I because I open up that drawer and everything is this long, and then I look <laughs> and there's like four of them sticking out that are like two inches longer. Lost black handles. Yep. And, and I'm like, and it's it's kind of, it's almost like a fun like nostalgic feeling. Like, oh, I remember when I first got these, yeah. and and I still use them. They're and great it's like, brushes. Yeah, they still they still hold up, and there's some brushes. of them have been like a lot of times in their brushes, they're they're graduated to different tasks. The old, yeah. the more use they've Dry gotten, brush, basing glue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll even use my, my go to. I because I remember I had like a it was either a double zero or or just a zero from that original line, and eventually those you know they lose their tips, but when it's got so few bristles, um, but it's kind of naturally now just kind of a little bit splayed because I beat the hell out of it. It's the perfect thing stippling. for just stippling yeah. just tiny, tiny dots of like a dark mahogany color for that, you know, corrosion. Yeah. And it's like, I still go to that, that one. And I'm like, oh man, look at this long ass brush handle in here. It's like, like I'm painting with oh. a giant oversized pencil. Yeah. We did that. We did like 500 sets of those as a limited run was our expectation. It was not a plan that Jen and I had to do tons. I, mean, I think we did like 500 sets. We got them in. They were prepackaged for us. They had the Slow Fuse Gaming back card with the bomb snail on it. And, uh, and they sold out in like two days. Mm -hmm. And we were like, 
Oh Jesus! Yeah. So that was that unexpected. That oh was, yeah. Okay. And oh, so yeah. like I thought, I thought my MOQ to have to buy 500 sets is that I had 400 sets of paintbrushes. <laughs> I, was, I was never buying paintbrushes again as a painter. I yeah. was in the money, right? Yeah. Like, You're like ah. Uh, hundred lifetime supply. Yeah. I had to sell like 200 to pay for 500, kind of a thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. so I was like hoping we could get to that so that the other ones were kind of I could give them away on stream and stuff. Mm. So I had already factored in the fact that these might just be, hey, when we reach X amount of subs, we'll give away a set of brushes kind of thing um and then they sold out and okay. so then we didn't have that part of oh well now we have nothing to give away we yeah. don't have this whole plan you know <laughs> but it was good so we made more um and then we we finally uh you know migrated to better brush manufacturers as our volume went up it gave us better conversational pieces to people that wouldn't talk to us originally so we got into like german factories um and some people took a chance on us and kept our design but got us the right handle length and all that kind of stuff um, so we, we had more, I don't really want to call it bargaining power, but we could talk more along the lines more of legitimacy development. Yeah. 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 And so is this when you kind of started to realize, so at this point, was Jen still a teacher or was she full time with you? Jen had moved to, she, she had quit teaching before we met. We met in 2015. We just had our ninth anniversary and, uh, Congratulations. The, yeah. And, and, uh, she had moved on from teaching by the time we met and she was working for a company that made distance learning software that would work for teachers that were dealing with uh, children that couldn't act in, correct in the classroom or or just, you know, uh, charter schools and things like that. So she was still in that world. Okay, um, okay. And then during that time as we were growing the business, she moved and had become like the assistant principal at a charter school. So it was definitely still in education, but was, you know, coming home and, and wrapping up the orders I didn't have time to do during the day. And yeah, so she started yeah. doing more of that. She started seeing that you know, good on her because she was seeing what I could. And I'm the kind of guy that's like, I'll get to it. I can do this. I'll kill myself doing it, but I'm going to do it. And she was like, I can help. Yeah. And so, that's you know, amazing. And then as we started going down the line of paints, she realized that we weren't going to be able to see that success if I didn't have more help and we couldn't afford to hire anybody. So, you know, she was doing a lot of work. And so it was brushes and then it was paint. What, what, I want to know. Brushes, and then we did uh, the, the go, go bag. bag. Okay. The go bag and the brush soap. So Jen came up with uh, the formulation for our brush goop. Um, and we started selling that, and that's been a huge hit. I have, I have that brush. I got a little puck over there yeah. that I use all the time. Yeah, so at what point did you move into a building, like when, when it like kind of became <laughs> official? Like when, 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 when did that happen? 2019 was the first time we did business outside of our house. Square footage on that thing? What was it? 750. Okay, so it's a little bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. Tiny. And, and we were so scared. And it was just you and Jen, no employees? Jen, that? no employees. Okay. Yeah, 2019, okay. no employees. Moved into our first office. Um, this very, was paint? Brushes go bag, yeah, and we were distributing models. Uh, Who's models? The the Canadian guys. Oh yes, <laughs> the Canadian guys. I don't like giving them advertising. So. Yes. Oh, but, uh, but yeah, the uh, you know, so we were distributing models too. So we had a lot of of stock, and it was just ran out of space super quick, you know. And and you know, we were like all excited about having an office, just didn't work very well. <laughs> climbing over Jen, we had a refrigerator in there because of all the ingredients for soap. You have to refrigerate it, so it's a, you have to have this mini kitchen for soap manufacturing, and then you got no room for anything else. And we had a, a stream that we did there. It was I was insane. It was literally the size of this room we're in right now. But imagine running our whole company out of just this room yeah. is insane yeah. but we've always done a lot with very little and that's been the key to our success because we don't like taking we don't like overspending you know we like doing it when you're comfortable which you can't mm. always do but yeah. but yeah when we embarked on the paint that was the big one that was where it was like hey we gotta we it was the pooper get off the pot moment you know because all the other products were fairly bags were a little crazy because you had to order them in big quantities they take up a lot of space mm. they come with rats 
we had <laughs> the first shipment of bags came into our house you know they what? dropped off pallets in my driveway i'm breaking down pallets in the driveway we're putting all the boxes there was bags go bags in every room of our house except for the master bedroom and uh and there was a wharf rat that had gotten in at the shipping docks in la and that wharf rat lived in our house for a few months until we trapped it that's a wharf rat it sounds like a fucking alien species it's just the rats that live around the docks okay mm-hmm. yeah i just assume it's yeah, like it the princess bride big, rats it was <laughs> It was like a, it was like a big fluffy brown and white, you know, rat that looked like something you'd buy at the pet store. But he was like chewing up our internet line. Oh my gosh! Last, so we caught him in one of those. Did you name traps. him? Did you name him before he finally met his demise? No, I called him a bunch of flavorful names as I, <laughs> as I took that sticky trap and threw it in the dumpster. Though uh, I just assume that you just name him Jerry, so you can just be like Newman every time you'd see his oh, like his Newman his, Jerry. <laughs> It was funny. It's like I, I, I was wondering one day, like, why our subwoofer didn't work on the on the TV system that we had. It was like a sound bar with a little subwoofer, and, and he had nested in the subwoofer, so he chewed up all the subwoofer things. His took apartment. The, took, the back of it out, <laughs> took the back of it out, and I'm like, well, no wonder it doesn't work. It's like dumping out, like, all the all the things he'd eaten and stolen from you were in the subwoofer. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little, a, little home, yeah. R.I.P. Jerry. <laughs> All so right. getting out of the house was cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was very cool to not have to do that anymore. And then you, so you went, then you went from that one seven hundred fifty square foot office, and then you went to the we one you're in now. We got the office. We got the office adjacent to that, and blew the wall out and put a door in. So we got an additional like eight hundred. So we were like at fifteen hundred square feet. Okay. Um, and that was really good. That was when we brought production of all the paint to the United States. Um, and so we were doing all that in house, but again, we were only doing a 750 square feet. It was a nightmare. So that, um, that's actually significant. I don't want to gloss over that detail you just shared. You literally manufacture Monument Hobbies paints in America. Yeah, we don't grind. Our pigment is ground in Canada. Um, the the freeze thaw testing and balancing for the the base is all done in Canada. We do all the final mixing, bottling, labeling, uh, and all of that. Well, and and the color development is all done in our office and everything. Yeah, because previous companies that John and I have like uh, been affiliated with um, have kind of led us to believe that the entire industry makes paint in the same place. Um, and I think for the most part, that could be true. It's hard to know because no one really talks about stuff like that. Um, but so then you told me you did that. And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that like people did that. Like, yeah, you have like a whole like bottling machine and like all that stuff going on. Yeah, I mean, most of the most of the companies will do their own bottling. A lot of people will get like the paint okay, okay. In, in big pails and, and then they do the bottling because, you know, the style of bottle that sets you apart or whatever. A lot of people will do that, <laughs> um, you know. But, yeah, we we I start from base pigment and do our color mixes. We send it off to the lab to make sure that those pigments suspend properly. Not every. Not every pigment reacts the way you want it to and can be a proacryl paint. So, but we're, we got that down to a science so that we don't really hassle with that anymore. But, you know, I, I do all the mad science, scientist color mixing at our end now and uh, send that off to the lab. They do a great job of, of getting all that squared away. Uh, we're hoping through the course of this year, one of our big plans is to bring everything to where everything other than pigment grinding happens at our place that's awesome all right i want to back up a little bit i just want to kind of jump into that and talk about that for a second so who's the first employee you hired what was their job (laughs) were they a contractor were they full-time were they part-time what was the deal so i guess technically we had a friend of mine blake who had gotten into a motorcycle accident and was unable he was a he was a motorcycle technician for harley davidson and he couldn't work so we brought him in first but unfortunately his injuries didn't allow him to sit and do the the motion of like uh, capping and bottling paint all day long 
So he was only there for a short time. He was technically our first employee, though, mm. but it was very short. And it was unfortunate he didn't work out. So then our real first employee was September in 2020. We hired Ruben, and Ruben was hired on to do paint manufacturing. And so because I was doing it, Jen and I were doing it. There were times where when it would come stream time, the stream was turn the camera around and watch Jason cap bold pyro red and talk to Chad <laughs> while I'm like, zoop, zoop, you know, the whole <laughs> and uh, yeah, so great content. Yeah. And uh, tell, it's tell interesting. I like some bottle paint, but we had to, and we didn't want to miss the stream because we really love the community, and the community wound up loving it. Yeah. You know, they were like, "Holy hell, this is how this happens!" And I was like, "Yeah, you know, here's the filling machine, here's the capping machine," and um, so cool. So we did that, but we hated doing it that way. And so Ruben came in and really took over doing that, and that was kind of the first push for us to to say, "Hey." We'd never been able to match demand. More people wanted the paint than we could make. Um, there were a lot of problems in the past with that. We cured that, brought production to the U.S. We're able to finally make enough paint to, to get demand met. We always were able to have paint in stock or 24, 48 hours out, you know, from when we would have that color back. And we were just learning the business of being a paint manufacturer. We were like, hey, here are the things we got to pay attention to. You know, number one, we got to have enough raw material to mix so we can make these colors. Um, we got to have bottles. You know, back then our bottles came from China, uh, and that was a real hassle because of the logistics of you know getting enough in at the right time. Our initial bottles came pre-labeled, so I would have to order at the time. We had maybe let's call it 48 colors. I don't remember what the real number was. Um, you know, but we had a handful of colors, and we would have to order in quantity bottles for white and black and all that because we didn't have space for labeling set up mm. you know and so then we were like well you know what we really need to do is we need to just have generic bottles because i don't know that i'm going to sell that much golden yellow versus titanium white but i run out of titanium white bottles and then i can't do anything yeah so that seems like brainless stuff it's like duh but at the time it's like ah, we're just doing with what we can so you know we we immediately started doing those things in a very short span of time and got a la automatic labeling uh set up going and and changed our bottle manufacturer to one here in the states um and so we were making some some heavy decisions that were costly at the time but well worth it you know yeah okay and so how many employees do you have nowadays 21 and they're all full-time full-time well we have one part-timer but she's really full-time okay <laughs> she's like four days a week and in the span of four days does eight days worth of work she's great okay but she she doesn't want to work on on, on fridays so right right <laughs> so what's working out you know like what what you're doing is right and i and i asked this question to you yesterday but i want to ask it again it's like um what do you how often do you feel like what the fuck am i doing how did i get here and how often do you feel like uh <laughs> this is intentional it's working as as, as i planned you know you feel like you've discovered lightning in a bottle and you're trying to like you're trying to like like hold it and you're like you're like oh my god what do i do with this thing or is this all like yep it feels more like that right it's okay. it's more the wtf i think because <laughs> um you know we haven't ever really been able to say what is normal for monument hobbies because we've grown at such a pace year over year with the the support of the community and the creation of new products um, you know, guys like you guys, you know, uh, loving the products and putting it out there only helps extend our family of, of consumers and, and community members. And so it's really just been, hey, what decisions do we have to do to keep up in the right way? Don't sacrifice quality. Uh, don't overpromise. Uh, you know, keep our QC where it needs to be. Keep our customer service where it needs to be, but also be able to bring on new customers. And so our whole business is really built around that. It's like, hey, you know, like in our re going to retail, we opened up our first retailer in 2020 and we had a handful by the end of that year, call it five. 
five or six retailers, and they're great. They jumped on. They they bought into the line. They believed in us. Thank God they did. We didn't know what we were doing, um, and but we started to piss people off because the line of retailers that had lined up wanting the to sell the line was way bigger than we knew we could make paint for, right? Because we know, okay, well, everybody gets, you know, X amount of paints in a rack, every single color to open up. And what we were seeing is that within two weeks, they'd sell out of nearly everything on the rack because there was such a demand for the paint. And we were like, well, we can't fill another rack in a month, you know, because we, we, we didn't have that much throughput. So we were, we were not setting people up. We were saying, hey, we just can't set you up right now. I don't feel good about selling you something if I can't guarantee that when your rack is empty, I can refill it. And right now I don't feel comfortable guaranteeing you that I can refill it. And so we were very slow and purposeful in the way that we went to retail so that we didn't overpromise. We didn't want empty racks gathering dust because that's lost profit. And, you know, square footage in a store is valuable to the, the store owner like you wouldn't believe. We wanted our square footage that we take up to be worthwhile. And so we really focused on that. And, and it's, it's a good thing that we did. I think that's really attributable to a lot of our growth. Our retailers respect us for that. They know when they call us, they get the real deal. Same with regular, you know, just a, any customer off the street, you know, we're not going to lie to you. We're like, you know, hey, you know, we, we underestimated the sales of new sure our fluorescence right now. We're having a hard time keeping in stock. And, you know, now we, we should be better at that. But <laughs> sometimes we miss. Yeah. We just we just don't know. We I think we're a little bit more pessimistic than we should be with that kind of stuff. And so a lot of it is that, you know, oh, my God, what do we do? What's going on? You know, <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds like you're taking a nice calculated approach to it and trying to keep people. Oh, happy yeah, we're very purposeful in all the things that we do. It's just sometimes you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. In, in the grand scheme of things. It's a it's a very infant market. It's a very oh, yeah. inf infantile um, niche in in the consumer culture, which is a very specific product range just in anything in miniatures. It's not been around that long to the way we know it today. And even if we look back at your last now we're going on th between three and four years, what your company was and what it is today because you and I have, have known each other and worked together Long in time. some capacity since about the beginning. Yeah. And I, it still feels like to me, it's the, it's the same monument hobbies. But when I look at like how many employees you have now, how you're able to reach, how, whenever I go to a different uh, like retail store, it's a coin flips chance, you know, that they carry your stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's so wild because a lot of this just kind of like content creation for us on YouTube it, it's it's not that old right mm -hmm. and so to say you you know, there's an industry standard of 50 years or 100 years to to go on to lean on for decision making for business decisions for direction for growth is is kind of untrue yeah um and you can either be scared by that or you can say that just means that there's an opportunity and as long as the people are buying the products and interested in the quality of work we do we just have to go with our gut and, and hold true to our uh, our mission statement um, in which I've seen that with you. And I'm, sometimes I'm surprised about all these new things you come out with at that. I'm like, how are I'm like mentally in my head. Did I'm like, Jason, how are you able to do all of this stuff? You know, honestly, if I can be totally honest with you, it seems a little unbelievable at times. Mm -hmm. Like when you made Noosh, I was like. That's probably just some 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 things that have already existed, but just put together in different quantities. If I can be totally honest with you, because like that's what like people in our in our industry, because it is so young and new and unexplored. This is what they would do. Yeah. They put a certain amount of retarder, a certain amount of like f uh, fluid matte medium in there, and they would slap a label on it and they'd call it 
something like Noosh. Yeah. You know? But, like, you actually developed something new. Yeah, it, it, it came from a product that had failed. It had a different uh, purpose initially. And, and when you tried to make that or someone else tried no, to make. someone else tried to make. Okay. Okay. And, and so when we were sitting down and we had a conversation, we were like, Oh, and then it got the brain going like, but what if it did this and this and this, I think it could be used for like a weathering technique we have in our industry if we changed it, but it had a good solid fundamental base, right? It's like when we make the go bag, it's like there's a tremendous amount of carry cases for all sorts of stuff in the world, but they don't ever quite get you where you need it for the hobby. Mm -hmm. So you're taking shortcuts, you're having to add your own stuff, you're having to witches brew it on your workstation and that's not fun. For some people that's the hobby, that's great. Mm -hmm. But for other people they just want it to work. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we look at stuff and we're like, how can we, you know, sometimes it's a repurposing, you know, of a tool or something like that. But with Noosh it was like, hey, what can we do chemically to stop having it act like this and do this and retain its qualities? You know, we don't want it high gloss. You know, we want to change it around. And so that's what we did. And we, we went in and, and kind of recalculated the chemical side of it to say, you know, without losing too much of its open time, how can we make it work for what we're going to do? And it took a while. Um, you know, like every good thing, it's worth the time to spend in it. But when we came out the other end, it's like, ooh, this is something new. Yeah. You know, this is something that we didn't ever think we'd see, you know, as an acrylic that it really gives you the open time to work with. Like, not I'm not going to say like an oil because people that have been working with oils know that you can work on them for days. You know, it's not going to turn an acrylic into that. If you need that, you go get an oil. Um, but for the speedy stuff that we want to do for quick weathering, it's fantastic, you know. Okay. And so, again, it's that problem solving. It's like I know as a painter, there's certain things I don't do because they're either too in, too involved. They, they take too much of my time, oils being one of them. I don't want to oil wash everything and then set all of that aside and have to do something else. That's not how we run our stream. That's not how I paint. I want it to happen now. I want instant gratification. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that was good. So people that don't know what Noosh is, can you can you explain what is the product? What is its purpose? We call it a, 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 a acrylic weathering medium, <laughs> and it's uh, it's meant to do like an oil wash. You mix in any color you want into it, any other acrylic paint into it to get the color you want. So your whole library of colors becomes infinitely more resourceful for you at that point. Uh, mix it up and you slather it on your model and then you wipe it off with a, you know, a soft makeup sponge is what we recommend. But you can use a Q-tip, brushes, whatever you want and move it around. But it's so much more too, right? It's been a thing that people have been using to teach themselves uh, wet blending because it, it can be used as a drying retarder. It is not specifically a retarder like that because it has such a long open time mm -hmm. and it's meant to move paint off of the model is what it's built for. So rather than a retarder, that's just meant to give that, that suspension more uh, flexibility. It's not meant to be removed. It's still stained, has a higher tint strength and things like that. So this one's meant to take paint away. So you got to be careful because you might slide all the pigment to a place you don't want it. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's great. It's it's uh, we have people using it in all sorts of ways. It's great for like that kind of uh, a lot of people call it two brush blending or spit blending. You know, you put a little dollop of paint on the model and then you just feather it out. Man, it just makes that happen instantaneously. So for shading and highlighting, it's perfect. So just a great it's a great creative product. And that's kind of what we like doing. I'm a guy that doesn't believe you need the same color in a base paint and airbrush paint, a layering paint and a dry brush paint and all that you know i'm like buy one color if you fall in love with that color and then use it for everything so we're really focused on making different mediums and creating new ways to have additives to that favorite color of yours to make you do whatever you want okay and so that's kind of our philosophy with paint manufacturing but you know we i, I, I want you to address like a, a certain way that 
I think I'm thinking and I think certain people are thinking right now. So like I bet there are people out there that have an entrepreneurial spirit and they have ideas for products they want to make and they hear about monument hobbies and like the the success you're having. And it's just like, it seems like, it seems like you got the Midas touch. It seems like whatever you do is just like killing it. But really there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work and intentionality that's going on yeah. in, in behind that scenes. And, you know, I, I look at you. You're an older gentleman. You got wisdom. You have industry experience. Old man. Old man. You're an old man. <laughs> but, like, but really, you create the opportunities for yourself, right? So it's like, what, what would you say to that entrepreneurial person who has ideas but is lacking execution or, like, the direction on, like, where to go? It's like, what's the first step? If I have a thing I want to make or, like, what can you tell that person as advice to get started? That's great. For, before I answer that, though, I want to say thank you to John for noticing, and to I, I love hearing that you see a similar company now as when we started, because that's that's very hard for us to keep sight of sometimes. Mm. As you grow, one of the easiest things to lose sight of is how you what got you here. How did you treat your customers back then? You know, there's the the road is littered with companies that forgot how to be nice <laughs> and how to be real, and so we try to keep that at the forefront of what we do. The entrepreneurial thing, I think, is one that it's. It, I think that. It changes individual to individual because what is your ultimate goal? Our ultimate goal is to provide valuable products for hobbyists that make hobbying fun, keep hobbying fun. Um, you know, my whole shtick is spend less time on the pallet, more time on the model because that's where we create. Um, so a lot of our products are bent towards that. But, you know, how do you find those successes, I think, is, is really just stay true to your vision. You know, we spoke a little bit about it last night is, is keep your energy um, these are the hardest things though, right? Because if you make something and you put it out there and people say negative things about it, it's easy to get deflated, but you have to find that energy. If you believe in it and you have a vehicle to deliver it, your energy will help its success. It'll never hinder it. You know, you can have a, a product that's just bad. Um, and you'll realize very quickly that, oh, we made a mistake. We, we, you know, didn't factor in this. You know, we thought we'd make this widget, but nobody really wants that widget. Yeah, just the, the finding your success, you know, keeping that energy up is going to be key. And that is the toughest thing. It's tough for me. You know, if I have an idea and now as we get bigger, that idea can find legs or pushback internally. Okay. And so that's a big thing. And, and as a as a solo entrepreneur, as somebody that's coming up with a product vision, you may not have that. But I, I you know, I would say reach out to your friend group, the especially in the hobby, the local store that you go to, you know, use the resources of the community around you to help you get a, a, a kind of pre knowledge of the success of this thing. Because if you can find five, 10 people that are interested in it, that use it, that love it, then you can make something of that. Right, yeah. Just be sure that you monitor your goal through the course of, of developing and releasing so that you're always adjusting what your expectations are. Yeah. If you think you're gonna be a millionaire and run a Kickstarter and do this thing and it's gonna be all gravy after that, you haven't done all the math, right? You need to look at what does that mean? How long does that fulfill? How long does it take you to do that and get uh, get good at it? And I just see a lot of people getting burnt out because their expectations, they feel like they, they missed them, um, but stick to it, you know? and that that's the key you know i have you know, i i'm i kind of don't have that limiter which is probably a uh, a genetic problem right is i'm, <laughs> I'm like a, a that mutant i don't i don't have that limiter that says you should not do this you know i'm always like if i think it'll work it'll work and right. so i have that energy and they don't all work but a lot of them do to some extent and i mean that's kind of the whole thing you know we we get pushed back on the paint line like why didn't your paint work like everybody else's paint i go because then it would be everybody else's paint and everybody else already makes that paint so we made it a little <laughs> different um 
and we stick to it and we're energetic about it and it's great yeah what you you said something that that struck me is like and it's it's advice that i share to other people when they want to do youtube as well is like when, if you have an idea for a thing like you have to stay true to that thing like there are a bazillion companies that just carbon copy products and they make stuff and they find some measure of success but the ideas you have and the way you want a hobby and the way you want to interact with the world um, is unique and special and like that that's what makes your product different from everyone else and sets you apart so it's like you gotta have faith in your ideas that they're gonna be valuable and worthwhile um, and sometimes they're not like they're a different version of, of value to people but um, you gotta kind of keep keep trying so what I'm hearing is if any of the goody peepees out there have amazing ideas in the miniature sphere you just send them to Jason he'll tell you if they're garbage and then you throw them away or he'll tell you they're great and then he'll steal them <laughs> and make the product I'm not right? sure I heard that but uh, that's that's, what I heard okay <laughs> that reminds me I've got a I've got a great product idea Jason I need to run by you it sucks and we can we can we'll, we'll do a Kickstarter and you're also not a dwarf we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll do it we'll do a Kickstarter we'll make 17 bazillion dollars and then we'll retire does that sound like a great plan because my idea will will blow the roof off of everything 17 bazillion is a lot i know Donald, I'm, so I'm, that's I'm, a hard one to pass up like i think yes retiring to a beach of a 17 bazillion kickstarter dollars might work but okay. no I, can i come i don't want to be a part of it but can i come to the island though sure. yes yeah right, well cool. you see how that's working for some people we may yeah, not no. do that. it's not that kind of <laughs> island it's not that kind of island oh god the, uh, that's so funny the um I, I think that, you know, you, you raise – like, we get contacts all the time with people. Some are, are inventors that we've got that will, you know, preface everything with an NDA and say, hey, I've got this great product idea, and, and we typically don't get involved in those things because as a product development firm, basically, you know, we can't sign NDAs with people because mm -hmm. we may have something similar that we've already thought of that's on the shelf that we're, we're trying to develop. So we got to be careful with that. But we do have a lot of people that say, hey, have you ever thought about this? I've got an idea. And I'm always very open to that. I it, Whether it's something that I think is in my space, I will always be honest and say, hey, that's not something we're interested in. But if you'd like to bounce ideas off of me, I might be able to give you some pointers on what I think I've seen in that you know, that realm. And we do that. I, it doesn't happen a ton that people are willing to go down that line because I think a lot of people are scared that you'll steal it and, and run with it and all that. But that's, you know, that's not, we're not, it, the thing with us and like, to, to your point, we're, we don't really look like we have, or we don't feel like we have to sell everything, right? There are companies out there that want to have 5 million SKUs and be the, you, everything you want. You want a, a piece of sandpaper or, or this little, you know, cute, their own branded Q-tips and all that stuff. And I'm like, eh, man, come on, you know, no, <laughs> I can get 5 million Q-tips on Amazon for $4. I am not making Q-tips. Right? I don't know those Tamiya Q-tips. <laughs> hey, they're not bad, actually. They're actually good. Uh, I use the hard pointed ones. Yeah, that's, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are to me. And I, but, but you I, can get those in bulk too. Yeah, those in bulk, yeah, 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 from other manufacturers. But yeah, I mean, stuff like that. It's just we're not. We don't view that as adding value. That just adds hassle for us because we know what it takes to stock and maintain all of that. Yeah, and I don't want for it. I don't need more material handlers. I want more creative people designing new things and coming up with new solutions. There's not always a new solution for everything. You know, we beat our heads against the wall sometimes and say you know what are we going to do like people ask what happens when you make the last color you know and, and people don't really talk about that with paint companies a whole lot because you see you know like paint companies that have like 500 SKUs of colors mm -hmm. but when you break it down they don't 
you know they have 150 and then repeats you know yeah. that are so close in tent tone or shade that you'd never really need both of those um but i do understand the flexibility and the the kind of uh efficiency that comes with having you know triads and all that stuff it makes sense in our industry but you know it's just not our mentality we're kind of like hey we provide paint that mixes fantastic you do that but what happens when you make the last color because we're approaching that you know we're approaching the point where it's like the main line is done uh, maybe this year maybe 2024 early 2025 we'll be like well okay there you go, Procrol is it, and uh, here's all the colors. So we thought about, you know, like we'll we'll we may extend into like a uh, like a, a military line. You know, we have a lot of scale modelers that love our paints, but we don't make you know German gray, right? You know? Yeah, and and you have to mix for a lot of those colors, the 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 RAL colors, and you know all of the military uh, documented colors from all the the decades long. You know, there's billions of colors there. Um, so we thought about doing a military line that would be kind of its own standalone thing. We've got all these ideas, but do we really want to do it? And we're at, that's what Carl's the game studio, right? Is like we're like, well, you know what we could do is we could start making games. Um, so that's the future possibly of Monument, which is the question I wanted to ask. And what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's always a, a it's a, it's tough. It's a cloudy crystal ball, right? Because we never know today what ideas we'll have tomorrow, right? And that sounds very like. Yeah, put that on a fucking poster, dude. Deflective, but that is, right? Cursive, cursive letter in clouds and whatnot. Yeah, with a, with a kitty holding f from a clothesline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, so I never limit us on on that, but we do want to work on things. So, you know, our first game launches in, in March or April of this year. It's in production right now. Uh, it's not a miniatures game. You know, we're just trying to have fun and open a game studio. Um, but it's uh, it's a different uh, sub-company, so it's Hobby Nerd Studios, and it gives us the flexibility to do whatever we want. Uh, and we'll test the waters there and, and do marketing and see what works and, you know, uh, again, just throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. But that's fun. Um, and, you know, then our, our products like our, our extending the go bag range, you know, extending the tools that we have that we use and the colors and things like that. We've still got a long road to go. You know, even when we make the last color, then then we can sit down and, and, and figure out how to you know how how to how what normal is i think you know because part of the reason we can't get to what normal is is because we do keep releasing stuff and it keeps being successful so all right jason we've had a lot of these easy softball questions and i'm i'm quite frankly i'm sick of it yeah me too so <laughs> let's let's get to let's get to some hard hitting questions um because i feel like diane sawyer sawyer right now so um jason you don't use a wet palette okay thank you yes let's chastise him okay why don't you use a wet palette, and why are you a terrible person because of this? Why do you choose to make your life more difficult? So, yes, I am a horrible person. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's just part of he the deal. He said it! That's he just said part it! Of, that's just part yeah. of the deal. I'm on record now, yeah. so that's probably going to go bad for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always, I, you know, I've been painting for so long, so part of it is old dog, no new tricks, but I have used wet palettes. I just, uh, uh, about a month or two ago, I used a wet palette to paint an entire miniature on stream to show people that I can and I know what they are and I'm not afraid of it. Sure. Uh, I've used them more than most people have. It's just that they reduce my fun in the hobby tremendously because of the maintaining of the palette itself. Um, and, and that's worse, of course, in dry climates like Arizona, uh, mm -hmm. where the paper yeah. curls on you the whole time. You can put pennies on the corner, but it still wrinkles up. It's still a pain in the butt. Um, you know, so the maintenance of it is not great. It is not a great science. Uh, I, this is something that, that sparks a lot of controversy because in the world of art, so if we just go in the world of art at large, not just miniature painting, but we look at the world of art at large, there's a reason why there aren't very many companies that make wet palettes because they're garbage technology. They don't work except for paste, watercolors, gouache, 
and paste acrylics. That's what they're made for. They're made for things that aren't naturally a base liquid paint because there's no way to control the amount of water that moves through the membrane. You'd like, in a perfect world, you'd like for it to replace only the water that evaporates out of the material on top. But when you have a liquid that is mostly water already, then you wind up in a problem because it can never keep up with a type of evaporation and it gets worse as you spread your paint out over a larger surface because the more surface area the paint touches, the quicker the evaporation, the more evaporation, and that paper can't adjust to letting the right amount of water through. Now, saying all of that, for the work that we do, it can be a great way to keep things like custom mixes that you're doing wet long enough to where you don't have to continually pull both paints together. And that's the old dog side of me. I've been doing that for so long and controlling the paint on my palette on a dry, I use a piece of glass, um, that it really is just the way I paint. I'm so efficient at it that having a pile of blue and a pile of khaki and mixing them together to get my non-metallic steel done and drawing more or less, because every time I go to the model, I want a little more khaki, a little more blue. So that mix in the middle, you know, it's it's my dot, 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 and the third dot is my mix, and I keep drawing it down and drawing it down, and I just get that natural progression through my gradient the same way you do on a wet palette, and I don't feel any different. I don't feel like the wet palette doesn't do me any good. It over-dilutes my paint most of the time because I, as a streamer, I'm talking more than painting, mm. and so the wet palette gets away from you, so that may be a big part of it. Uh, but like I said, I painted a miniature with it, and people were asking me the whole time, and I'm like, ah, it's a hassle. It's a hassle to have to put more water in it. It's a hassle to every day come in and the paper's all dried up and I got to go do that in the sink and squeegee the paper and put it all back together. I was like, come on, throw it in the garbage, use a dry palette, don't put as much paint on your palette. I can't imagine using a dry palette in fucking Arizona. Like, that just sounds like the worst painting experience of my life. Again, like it comes down to I teach people all the time is the big problem that we have. And, and a lot of it is and I don't want to I don't want to make this sound like I, like it's accusatory. But a lot of people, when they paint, are just really willy nilly. They spread that paint out really far and thin. And so the wet palette helps save you if you paint that way, but not by much, because by spreading the paint out, you now have opened up more evaporation. That paint dries out quicker. I keep my paint in tight dots and I draw a little leg of paint out and mix it into the color I want, get the dilution the way I want. But the original dot stays exactly the way it came out of the bottle. So I always have the exact paint to start from all the time. As soon as you put paint on a wet palette, it is no longer the paint that came out of the bottle. It's instantly diluted. And so you can't go back to the original paint. So you're saying, and what a large portion of that is, is that in our industry, a lot of people, goes back to what I said, a lot of people use heavier weight mediums to carry more pigment in suspension. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, I mean, uh, we're not a solution. It's not like salt water. Paint is pigment that is just held in suspension and so gravity pulls the pigment down that's why we have to shake our paints so it never really truly dilutes like a dye right it never becomes part of it to where it's just blue water now um and so as that pigment is in suspension a heavier weight medium will hold pigment in suspension longer and more so you can put more actual weight of pigment in there it won't separate as quick the one of the powers of protocol is that we have a lightweight medium that holds more pigment than most heavy paints out there Mm -hmm. so we have is the same or more pigment than all of the other brands out there but our paint feels thinner right i hate saying that word thin it's it's lighter weight um because it's not diluted it still has great opacity to it um and so we did that so that you didn't have to spend time on the palette you get a paint that goes on 3d models without covering details right with just a damp brush you shouldn't have to add anything to it so with a heavier weight paint, if you take that heavier weight paint, just put it on a model, it starts feeling gloopy. It shows brush strokes, so you need to dilute it a little bit so that it feels thin enough and lightweight so that it moves across three-dimensional surfaces the way we need it. For canvas, that's the way it does. That's why you use paste paint. It's thick. It shows brush strokes. But on a canvas, you already have a textured surface. You don't care. Yeah. 
for us, we care about that smoothness. Mm -hmm. And so we made a paint that's smooth right out of the bottle so you don't have to mess with all that. So that's part of it too, yeah, you know. Yeah. But wet palettes are fine. Our paint works great on a wet palette. You just have to make sure you don't overwet it because we're already a lighter weight medium. We don't need all of that addition like heavier weight paints do um, to get the exact same, if not better, results. And so, yeah, we fight that a lot. But like I said, I, I, I use it in my show. You know, I did that kind of, here, take this, and use it on stream and show it everybody. You know, we can do it. Yeah, I just want to say there's a lot of people out there that are probably hard palette users that are feeling really empowered right now. And let me just tell you, you shouldn't feel empowered. You should. You're wrong. You should. I agree with nothing that he is saying right now, but it's not worth going through this bullshit on the podcast. Maybe we should go through it. Down well, with Weddy. Anything that hard palette can do, I can do better. Let me just say it. No, I was kidding. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like I'm able to... Tools are a really unique thing. This is a whole big, broader conversation because the tool you use is right if it gets you the results you're looking for. Sure, absolutely. And I can yeah. walk At the end the of the day, say, that's important. What the hell are you doing? And yeah. you're like, this. And you show me a miniature, I go, keep on keeping on. Sure. Because yeah. whatever you're doing, it's working and it looks great. And yeah, if it yeah. makes you more confident, dude, use it. Absolutely. I will never tell people what they can and can't use in art. It's chaos. I will. You do whatever's fun. <laughs> I think it's important to note that I think a Wet Palette is a prime example of this, but for all of our tools, or most of our tools in the hobby, um, they are not light switches. They are not just on or off. Either you use a wet palette and it works how it works, or it's off and you don't use it. I found over the years, the the, the small details, the minutia, the understanding, all the, the different aspects of a wet palette and how it works, I, I feel like I've gotten better at understanding and like tweaking how I use a wet palette to work the way I need it to work. Yeah. When I first started, it was just kind of like, put the water in the sponge, put the thing on and go for it. Yeah. And then inevitably within 30 minutes, it was the curling on the edges has started and I'm now in a race against time. Can I use this, this paint that's on there before the creeping of the palette paper then like dries it all out. I see people like yeah. spray their spritz water on the paper. No. And so now the top of the paper is saturated no. with water and He's, I'm like, good God, I'm dying. You know, yeah. I mean, you can, and if you get you again, if you get used yeah. to painting that way, and you paint in fifteen glaze layers for everything you do, great. Yes. You're going to have more desaturated color. There's just there's science behind that. There's the way physics works, and there's certain things rules that will not be broken. Yeah, yeah. But, but by you, and large, I think you know, yeah, do it, use it. It's great. I just don't like to. Also, the the idea that our a wet palette means that you get to use paint that you've mixed for tomorrow or even in two no. or three hours yeah. is fallacy. And maybe that was something we've either told ourselves or we heard through the grapevine that this is what the, the wet palette does. I'm here to tell you it's it's not that. You shouldn't do that. Even if the, the paint is there from yesterday, you open your lid and there's paint there, that paint is not the paint you know, yeah, right? It's that is yeah. that is a, an imposter paint. Don't trust it, don't use it because yeah. all that chemistry is now changed drastically overnight. Um, also, I, the the paper itself like the more that i've just freed myself up of like i'm just throwing this away every time every time i'm yeah. throwing it away every time i sit down for a new session this idea of a re reusable paint membrane i'm i'm sorry redgrass games <laughs> the, the the fucking thing is just like it's, it's so ridiculous cheap, it's so accessible just get a new piece of paper yeah, yeah. It, it's 100 it's, it's some it's a the uh the process is designing a product that people think that they want that it sounds great in a perfect world it would be amazing but the actual execution of the product is just not 
there. Yeah. Right. It's like, re yeah. yeah, it's like saying, you know what? We have invented reusable toilet paper. So all you got to do is use your toilet paper and then go take it in your laundry room, throw it in the wash, you know, clean out your toilet paper and then you can use it again. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a good idea. Wait, you don't do this? You just got shit all over everywhere. This is what's happened, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> It's the I, same kind of thing. I gotta rethink my whole life. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> he just uses washcloths. Light bulb. People do reuse diapers for babies. Like we we oh started that God. when my daughter was my, born. My sisters, when I was growing up, I my had to wash their diapers. I had to change my sister's diapers and then put them in the hamper. These poopy diapers. You had to scrape it. Oh, yeah. Yes. Horrible. I mean, it's scrape. You can absolutely oh, yeah. do it. I don't like that image. Yeah. Oh, scrape yeah. the solids. Got like, a little young Jason. Yeah. Guys, over here! I'm scraping the poop out. It's like, oh God, no. Yeah, Dude, you can't easily this is get. Why I'm so driven, so I never, <laughs> never have to touch poopy diapers again in my entire life. You ever tried to scrape peanut butter off of a piece of bread? No, it's so bad. Yeah, it's just like that. Okay. Yeah, but we did cloth diapers. <laughs> I can tell you how to put a cloth diaper on a baby. That's yep. for sure. Okay, yep. well. Plastic over pants. So well, what I'm hearing, Jason, <laughs> is that we need to put our brains together to try to to invent some kind of cooled piece of glass. It's kind of like a mini fridge. But it's just a piece of glass that sweats a little bit. That it doesn't even need to sweat. I think something to do with the 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 it being cold will keep some level of consistent temperature and moisture that doesn't upset the paint, but still prevents it from getting that skin on top. That's just that micro condensation, like on a, a cold piece of tile in a room temperature environment, will have a little bit of condensation form on it. So if you can do that over time, it it kind of does the same you know, non-scientific amount of water. but Just saying, there's our second bazillion-dollar idea today. Okay, cool, yeah. You, there good. are these things called Peltier plates where you can heat yeah. a side of it and then the other side is cooled. So if you have, like, a pallet that had, like, a trough in it and you put warm water in the trough and it heat the underside of the Peltier plate, the it's top side would be cold. type stuff. Yeah, as long as, long as you kept the water somewhat warm. That would be a maintenance thing, though. So maybe that's, that's the thing. I mean, the reality idea. is, is number one, use less paint. And don't be afraid to open that's, the same bottle of paint and put more paint out as yeah. you need it. And that's keep the it in a little traditional puddle, thing right? to do. That's your biggest solution. Um, you know, like John said, don't have an expectation beyond what the palate can really achieve. Be very careful putting it in your refrigerator overnight because cold, dry air can it actually uh, produces more evaporation. Uh, evaporation is not a heat-generated thing. It's dryness um, as the entropy tries to balance the moisture in the air versus the moisture on the substrate. So, you know, you wind up with all sorts of problems in, in that people say, well, I put it in my refrigerator and it dried out. And I'm like, well, that's what did you put it in the part where you put your lettuce crisper? I mean, there's reasons why refrigerators have like a humidity one and a dry part. And, a, you know, so evaporation happens in there, too. And, and you got to be careful. So, again, it's just weighing those expectations. The wet palette's a great tool. Like I said, if you're a person like me that mixes a lot, I'd probably be smarter to use one for those days where I'm painting a model and I'm not using any base colors. I'm I'm always doing a hybrid color out of two other ones. The wet palette's really strong for that. Um, you know, I'm just, that's the old dog kicking in. I'm like, no, I will fight through it. And, sure. and I never really have problems. I mean, the way that I do my stuff now, I only paint with the moisture on my brush. I never add water to anything. I'll add medium if I'm diluting. Um, so it's really just a dampness on my brush. And when you, when you have painted that way for so long, I was taught that, good God, when I was in my early teens, 
And so I've done that for everything, whether I'm painting canvas or painting models and all that stuff. And it just becomes the tool you use and you never look back. Okay. Well, you thank just, you. You need one of those things that like, you know, your dog water dish and then you got yeah. the big jug of water that goes on top. So then it always stays at the certain water level. You just need like that in a wet palette. So you don't have to worry about keep adding more water because it, is it you know, evaporates. Yes. You just got you have your big jug of He's water. Yeah, bajillion dude, dollar idea. I have so many this, ideas. This, <laughs> I have yes, a reservoir for your wet palette. Yes, reservoir. This also can be used as the your water cup. This is this was this is one of my ideas for wet palette. I, I, I agree with you. It's it's a there's a potential there. It's I don't potential. know what it looks like. But John, thank you for bringing that up. I wanted to chastise Jason for not using wet palettes. But Jason, we're coming to the end of our conversation here. Where can people find Monument Hobbies? Where can they find your Twitch stream? Uh, shout yourself out. Oh, yeah. MonumentHobbies.com. Really simple uh, for the web store. Uh, and then we have a store locator link on there uh, for all the FLGSs that carry our stuff across the globe. We have hundreds and hundreds of, of stores around the world. Uh, distribution to all four corners of the globe so you can find our stuff hopefully closer to you so you don't have to uh, ship it over from the u.s but you always can um and then our twitch is uh twitch.tv monument underscore hobbies um and so yeah we stream five days a week two to four p.m mountain standard time uh jordan and i and jen and the crew we've got various people that come and sit with us and have fun tough art jokes paint models great time okay. yes we like fart jokes. uh we'll have the link to monument hobbies website down in the show notes in the video description so if you haven't visited there before we'll get you there and thank you thank you i do like that page of finding your local store i always i like every couple of months i go back and check it because i'd like check the minnesota stores yeah. or like western wisconsin stores because i'm always like oh there's another one or whatever and and uh, oh, we've been on a rampage lately. We've got so many new stores <coughs> opening up. It's exciting. It's it's great. It's great to see. I do it for my own selfish reasons, because then when I go into local stores and I can see that my custom paint set is there and then I yell at the store That's owner, it's yell at the store <laughs> owner for not selling. I'm like, you got to push those numbers, push those John sets. <laughs> You know, every person that comes in. Door. <laughs> I need them on a, a string um, so it hits you right in that face as you walk through the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. It just, I want my face to be the first thing that people see when they walk in the game store. Uh, I had one final hard-hitting question before we wrap this up, Jason. Uh -oh. um, for those of you that don't know, Jason is an incredibly talented miniature painter. And if you ever watch um, him on stream, you'll see how quickly he can paint something to a level that's, really impressive in, in it's uh his understanding of light and volumes is is something great to learn from which is why i think um your stream has been successful over the years but jason you don't paint competitively you mm -hmm. you have you don't enter painting competitions your your skill level is more than worthy of that but why why do you, do you just don't want to lose or no as a matter of fact the last the last time i did painting competitions i won a golden demon and a forge world best of show wow but i i, I it was that was 2005 and I'm and I'm like since then I, I think that for me I've judged a lot more than I've entered. Mm -hmm. uh, I get asked to judge quite often in like regional events or at shows and things like that. And I think what I found the most is that I don't like the idea of most painting competitions because of the disparity in models and the subjectiveness of the models and what's the flavor of the month. Mm -hmm. um, to discover who the best painter is in any given situation, I think you need to do it in a more homogenized system where you all paint the same model and you see the style and the textures and the volumes evolve so that I can really say, hey, Scott and John, John did this, Scott didn't do this, but Scott did this and John didn't do this. And people as both the viewer and the painters get more 
out of that. Um, so I, I know that's not as fun for the viewers to walk through a bunch of cases of the exact same model 50 times. Right. But until there's painting competitions like that, I'm not really as interested in them. Because, you know, Joaquin, and not to pick on, on Joaquin, but like Joaquin Palacios or whoever the, the great sculptor that did this sculpt, that's a one-off model that sits in a case and it's like, oh, Good God, that's amazing. And so the amazement is going to help drive the beauty of the piece. Yes. And so I don't like one-off pieces. I don't like grandiose stuff where not everybody gets an opportunity to do the same thing. I, this is an argumentative point because a lot of people argue with me that that's part of the art form. And I get it for that competition. Maybe that's the case. But I think that if you really want to have a painting competition, it has to start from a level playing field where everybody gets the same substrate to paint and shows off. Because then I can really have an objective view of what the criteria was, you know, and color usage and all of that. And people would be able to look and say, oh, I see what this guy did that this guy didn't or vice versa. Yeah. And I think that works a lot better. Yeah. yeah, I think we should listen to Jason because his his eye as a judge is obviously impeccable. Um, and this has nothing to do with the fact that he judged when I won first place in a competition <laughs> a number of years ago. So Sam was really bummed with me on that one too. You know, and Sam, I never, I never, uh, I'll never let Sam Lenz live that down. I just always <laughs> hang it over his head that one, on this day, there are many days that it you're better than me. Could have been either one of you. Yes, it could have yes. been either one of you. Um, on any given Sunday, uh, just to be in 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 the, on one day to be in the same category as Sam, I consider to be a highlight of my painting career thus oh, far. You're, yeah, your piece but, was fantastic. You paint great. Both um, you guys are great. Thanks. Looking at Scott's stuff in the case is amazing. His tabletop stuff is fun. It's like got you know to have that kind of contrast and volume on an army that you're just putting out on the table to play is perfect. That's the way the the that that's my form of the hobby. That should be the art form. I wanna I wanna go ooh wanna see an army on the table. Go to, you don't have go, to say that. Go to Vince's house. You don't have to say that. Hey, oh yeah, Vince's hey, stuff hey, is great. You hey, don't have to say that. Hey, He's just being nice now. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go cry. Uh <laughs> Just kidding. We're going to get into the after party. So, Jason, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to now get into the extended portion of the podcast. Welcome to the end of the podcast, Jason. Thank you again for being here. We just Thanks had a crazy me. after party. Jason got naked and was running around and fruit screaming. Yeah, we had a fruit tray. Yeah. So Very give us weird. five bucks and you can see that super uh, that incriminating contract, uh, evidence. Jason makes 75 cents on uh, each new patron. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting bigger tips. Yeah. But also he had to pay for the fruit tray, so we got to pay this. Really? That was why you asked for my credit card? Yeah. Bastard. Uh, yeah. And also, you know, before we wrap everything up for real here, Jason is uh, uh, firmly against eating the paint. Um, if you've seen any of the, the advertisements of Monument Hobbies, Don't eat the paint. Uh, they they apparently they like puppets and they like not eating the paint. That's what the, we've learned from the marketing of Dude, Monument Hobbies. Don Mahogany lately. would be very offended if he heard you talk about him being a puppet. He's a oh. real person. Oh, really? He sits in my office all day and stares at me. Oh, that sounds. Who has their Who has their hand up his butt? Because if he's not a puppet, that means that there is a real human <laughs> speechless sticking, sticking their hand up another human's beehole. Is that is that what you're doing? I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I bet this Don. I bet me, Don feels even me, more uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. Actually, actually, Christopher, our, our DP, is the guy that does the puppeteering. Okay. Wait, you just admitted. Hmm? Yeah. You just admitted okay, so he's, he's not he's a real, not a real guy. Okay. Yeah. Um, there there yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm all about the truth. Okay. <laughs> there's some great. I, there's a, a lot of things that I admire about Monument Hobbies. One of the Damn. things are their goddamn commercials. Because 
you didn't have you don't have to like put in the effort the creative thought the 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 funny skits the way that you like, kind of keep things fresh and, and and make it fun while uh kind of putting your name and face out there and i can tell that you guys have a lot of fun we hate ads so only make ads we want to watch that's our goal mm-hmm. right i mean i'd said it before on the podcast um but there was this, there's a line that um that is delivered in your christmas ad and where it's it's uh they're they're, they're dressed up as mice mm-hmm. right and it says not not a creature was stirring not even a mouse not even a mouse was literally stirring here mm-hmm. yeah and i don't know what accent that little baby jay was using there but it sounds like he's speaking through his nose. Yeah. He just says one line, and I just lost my mind laughing. Like, yeah. And I'm just like, We're okay. literally stirring. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, like, slurring it. Yeah. And he's got that stupid mouse nose on. Yeah. So it's I like, think one of the most fun things we do is buy cheap-ass costumes on Amazon <laughs> for our commercials. It's like, ooh, look, $5. We get mouse ears. We'll use those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's stupid. Uh, we have so much fun. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad that I could mention that to you because I I enjoy the the commercials every time. A lot time. of people do. Yeah, Jordan will get a kick out they're, of it. Yeah. They're awesome. They're awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, you guys right. grabbed me. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. If you guys enjoyed the podcast and want to support it, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can check out our Patreon where we do an extended episode. It's about 20 minutes, 30 minutes longer of extra content for you to fill your ears and brain with. Uh, you can also watch the uh, podcast on YouTube, uh, Whitelisted. We play an ad about every 30 minutes. That's a free way to support the podcast. You can check out our merch link down below at Teespring. We have hoodies. We got sweaters. We got joggers. We got cups. We got G-strings with Jason's face on them. We don't have that, but that's coming soon. Mm-hmm. That's a collaborative project for Monument and, uh, and Tup. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not yeah. read the contract correctly. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can also uh, share our podcast with your nerd friends your mom, your dog. We don't discriminate. Anyone can listen to a podcast. Uh, John's farts appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but until then, I think we're about to head out. Get some tendies, maybe. Yeah, we're going to go get some food, and then we'll Woo. be back in two weeks with another new episode. And you can use up that two-week time to check out the Monument Hobby stream on Twitch. Check out their store. We got the links down below, and you can see where they have their locations in your area and all the funky stuff like the noosh. Like the like the wash and glaze medium, like the go bags, like little paints, like the Ninjon signature series paint set. And until then, we'll catch you on the flippity flop.